Welcome to Ed Council Insights. This is our podcast to provide insights into new legal developments in the Missouri education community. If you're a Missouri school leader, school board member, or any public educational decision maker in Missouri, well, you're in the right place. Today, we're going to be talking about board members behaving badly. It's a topic that most districts have to deal with from time to time. Maybe it's a board member that is well-intentioned but fails to see the potential harm in their misconduct, or perhaps a board member that knows better but just is overly influenced by special interests or individuals. Or perhaps it's a board member who's on the board just to work a personal agenda. All issues that we see from time to time. So with me today to talk through some of these questions and issues uh, surrounding board members behaving badly are my two favorite board members and also my law partners, um, Emily Alejandro and Drew Marriott. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Dwayne. Emily and Drew hold the distinction of not only being law partners on our team here at Ed Council, who work with uh, legal issues in Missouri public school districts every day, but they are also serving public school board members. So I thought it'd be good to ask them about uh, the topic today. And so I'm anxious to hear uh, their views of board members behaving badly. Clearly there's a lot to talk about here. I wanna hear from you guys about a situation where you were at a board meeting, not, uh, not asking you about ones that you are necessarily there as a board member, but one there as an attorney perhaps, and a board member did something that was, well, strange, wackadoodle, out of the ordinary, something that uh, you, you walked out, you got in the car, and you're like, wow, that just happened, huh? So I want to hear from you, and I usually start with Emily, and because of that, I'm going to pick on Drew first today. Well, we all know who the favorite is, and so um, well, I'm, I'm fine to go first this time, but you, you do usually start with Emily, um, and uh, it is an awkward spot to be a board member, so we won't talk about our own board member experiences. I'm fairly new, and um, to the extent, I'm not going to use any names to protect the associational innocent um, in these situations, but... I, I think one of the situations, um, and this was over the course of a few board meetings, but there was a, a controversial issue that had resulted in litigation in a school district. And uh, some new board members had come on the board and were just asking in open session directed questions related to some of these issues that were part of our litigation. And in doing that in open session, they had not previewed those those questions with the administrators that they were asking those questions to and in doing so were taking taking views and positions that were inconsistent with defenses that the district had made in the litigation and arguments that had been made uh, in the litigation and were just inconsistent with the message that the board as a whole um, had had agreed to and so that created a lot of inconsistency um, one, it, it's a horrible thing to do uh, to administrators and puts them in a bad spot if you've not previewed those questions or worked through those issues with them, especially if they're legal questions and impact maybe the defense of a case. But um, to do it in an open session with a bunch of people attending and being streamed um, can really, really negate some of the defenses and positions and arguments that you have uh, in protecting your district. That's a good one. Uh... 
an ugly one, but a good one, I think. Uh, all right, Emily, you went second this time, so you've had all this time to prep while Drew was talking. What are your thoughts? Thanks. So I remember um, I was scheduled to attend a closed session board meeting for a district, and uh, it is not like me to be particularly early for anything these days, but um, I did show up to this particular meeting early while the board was still in open session, and I got there right in, your de- in time. In your, de- in your defense, you're a mama three. Come on now. Right, yeah, right. Can be so, on time. That's right. So there is very little on time um, in, in my life, but I got to this board meeting, to the open session, and I was just going to kind of sit to the side and wait for closed session to start, but I got there right in time for public comment by patrons of the community. And so um, I was sitting there and a patron asked a question of the board and the board president clearly was not feeling comfortable answering the question or talking on the subject. And he had spied me from (laughs) across the room and just said, well, our school attorney's here if you'd like to ask her that question yourself. And so that kind of put me on the spot and uh, was a very strange position to be in, to be talking about legal advice that I would typically give to the board or to the superintendent uh, separately from an open session board meeting. And of course the newspaper was there. And so that was super awkward. And I would say that If I am scheduled to attend one of your closed session board meetings to any of our listeners, um, please don't plan on me being there anytime early. Or if I am, I'm going to be sitting in my car away from the period for public comment. Uh, Experience is such a great teacher, right? Oh, indeed. (laughs) Well, hey, you know, we we could probably go into a number of different areas. uh, And those are good stories from both of you. Uh, You know, things tend to happen when we're out at these board meetings. And I imagine that you see things as board members sitting there on the other side of the table, uh, and that's a little bit odd sometimes too. But you know, one of the things that I thought we could do is kind of go through some of the common problems that we see uh, with respect to board member misconduct and and things that we get into with boards and board members. Um, maybe talk a little bit about how, how it can potentially be addressed and um, that sort of thing. But um, I think probably the one that I think of coming up the most that I is probably a great place to start, and that is confidentiality. And uh, I'm going to ask each of you uh, to give us a little of uh, your thoughts about confidentiality, what the expectations of board members are, and how things tend to go when a board member leaks confidential information. Anybody want to uh, – Emily? I picked on Drew first last time. You're you're the next contestant. What do you think? So we had a situation come up where a board member was privy to information regarding the reassignment of teachers for the upcoming school year and shared that information. You know, so-and-so is going to go teach this grade or this class or we're eliminating, you know, this program and shared that information with their spouse uh, after the information had been shared from the superintendent. And the spouse was actually the person to inform one of the teachers of his new assignment. Uh, So it just in casual conversation, the spouse 
um, mentioned, oh, hey, I heard you're not going to be teaching this next year and that you're going to be doing this instead. And that was news to the teacher. Um, and so, you know, interestingly, that reassignment information was not shared in a closed session of the board. It was actually shared um, via a board update. So I think that that's a pretty good example of the idea of keeping all information that would be confidential or closed under our policies and under the law, um, keeping, keeping it that way, not just things that are shared during closed session. So um, because the superintendent or other board members may be communicating with each other about any number of things, and it's our job as board members to recognize, hey, this is personnel information. I'm going to need to make sure that that's not something, you know, that's out there, even though the superintendent perhaps emailed us all this information. It doesn't mean that because it happened outside of that formal closed session that it's out there for public consumption. Um, but as you can imagine, that conversation between the board member's spouse and the teacher led to a ton of confusion that was completely unnecessary because at some point there would have been you know, formal discussions with the staff about those assignments and that didn't get to happen. So everything happened a little backwards for that situation and um, really betrayed the trust of the superintendent and the other board members with regard to the leaky board members um, board service. That's a good example. Um, you know, the uh, and we're going to come back and maybe talk a little bit about how you address some of those things. But before we do that, I, I want to kind of get Drew's insight on this. Drew does the firm's litigation and leads our, our division on uh, of litigation. So you may have a little bit kind of different view on on some of those things, especially when it comes to confidentiality and and work product that's associated with some pending litigation or perhaps even things that haven't led to litigation yet that might. Um, what are your thoughts there, Drew? Yeah, we've had a few of those situations. Um, so we've had, you know, litigation related to students where stuff that we discussed in closed session on legal updates then ended up being in. Uh, in a local blog and a reporter had some of that information that had not been discussed uh, anywhere except inside closed. And, and we've had similar situations with staff members, you know, so there's still currently staff mem members, but have pending litigation against the district and somehow their attorneys have information that was disclosed during, you know, that, that we provided in a legal update during closed session. And, you know, when you think, when you think through that, it, it, one, it diminishes the district's ability to defend and, and update the board on those things effectively, right? Because if you can't trust that that information is going to be protected, and so we've got, we've got kind of several layers of confidentiality here. We've got attorney-client privilege, right? So we want to protect those communications be it between an attorney and their client so we can have those candid discussions of the good, bad, the ugly, you know, exposure, money, things like that. Um, and then we've got, you know, under our board policies, confidentiality related to closed session, closed student records, closed personnel information. Um, and, and so really it creates those issues, you know, we may have an argument from an opposing attorney that attorney-client privilege has been waived because that information has been disclosed. And then we're in a fight about other communications to the board. Um, it's a difficult spot to be in, especially in the, litig especially in the litigation standpoint or pre-litigation because we may be outlining what defenses are, you know, what are our legal arguments? What are the factual issues that may mitigate this being a valid claim? 
Um, and if somebody is, is provided that information outside of the district uh, ahead of time, then we're in a position that that may severely impact the chances of the district being able to defend that litigation. I think it's a great point. The you know the you're educating your adversary in effect, and uh, you know one that's kind of analogous to a situation that comes up for uh, me, and I know Emily's looked at it too, where um, you, you know when you're talking about bargaining for those districts that have collective bargaining, and you know you've got to have the authority of the board to negotiate on their behalf and act on their behalf, and. And really, the best way to advise the board and work with the board in that regard is to know uh, in advance what their their bottom line positions going to be. And so you have those discussions with the board to try to get to a point where you know where they sit and what they're willing to agree to and what they're not willing to agree to. And um, boy, that can be so difficult to deal with if you've got a leaky board because in effect, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you're talking about, okay, well, you know, here's what I'm going to suggest is the bottom line. Well, um, you know, all of that information goes to uh, the other side, uh, maybe not directly even, maybe it's just leaked through a spouse like Emily was talking about or otherwise, and and soon we've got a huge problem. Um, so it can really hurt the district, uh, some of those things, but um I think even of the, the the example that Emily mentioned at the outset uh, of the personnel assignment, um, it's really not appropriate or uh, fair to that staff member to learn from another staff member, um, you know, what the plan is for them in terms of their employment. Um, and uh, it, it's really unfortunate that we see that sort of thing, but it does happen. I kind of want to move to this question on the confidentiality piece. How do you address it? You know, I think we can all agree that it's wrong, causes harm, and really works against the district as a whole and the board as a whole. But how do you fix it? I mean, I I, I think one you know one thing is is educating the board, right? I mean, so one of the issues that can arise is personal liability from from breaching that confidentiality and talking through what that may look like and how they may be exposing themselves beyond. Uh, protection from the district or the district's insurance. And then also talking about the fact, this is why this is important. And as a board as a whole, we need to be able to discuss this information with you for these reasons. And we need to be able to trust that you will abide by your oath, you know, to the, the board ethics to keep it confidential. And I feel, I feel like that's been the way that I've, I've kind of been able to try to address it on the front end. I don't know that it always works. Emily, you have any thoughts about the role of uh, the board versus the role of the superintendent and trying to correct course on something like this? So I think that it can be a pretty awkward situation for the superintendent to have to try to address board member misconduct. So I think the best approach is for the superintendent and perhaps board leadership, whether that's the president or the vice president or some combination thereof, to collaborate about how there needs what kind of communication needs to occur with the misbehaving board member and have a conversation that is led preferably by the board president um, and that may be at first if you know depending on the severity of the situation but at first that maybe is going to look like a private conversation with the board member and board leadership superintendent maybe isn't involved in that at all 
and then it may escalate from there if there's still some problem with board member behavior or board member conduct. But I really think that good board leadership means not putting your superintendent in a position to have to kind of quote unquote discipline a board member because ultimately that board member is one of the seven individuals who's evaluating the superintendent. So that really needs to be handled by the board leadership. Yeah, we always talk about the idea that uh, even if you have board leadership that's maybe not so strong and and um, maybe they're not comfortable addressing the issue with that other board member, that is really where it needs to come from because it's not a superintendent function to correct board member misconduct. Um, you know the uh, and we can kind of get into some of some of the issues of how you address board member misconduct generally as we move through some of these other topics or other ways that we see uh, the misbehavior manifest itself. But I, th I think I want to move to to Drew on this one. Um, it you know, another area that I've seen a lot, I know you have too, is when you see um, a board member that's motivated by a personal agenda or perhaps they have an allegiance to a specific special interest group uh, or special interest or individual Um how do you address that one? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, if somebody um, comes onto the board because they're adamant they want to get rid of a certain coach or, or want to use um, certain labor organizations, even if they're more expensive um, to use, I mean, we've dealt with those issues in the on past. Like a, on like a construction project, you mean? or something? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, if we've got an obligation to award a bid, you know, under our construction guidelines to the lowest responsible bidder, um, you know, there may be, maybe some certain interests that want us to give it to somebody else that's more expensive and may violate statute. And so, you know, we, unfortunately, I feel like we've seen this play out quite a bit over the last year and some of the, uh, politicization and polarization of school boards, um, thanks COVID and, uh, and presidential election and things like that. But, you know, we, we see that, I feel like we see that a lot. And it, it's one of those things that um, I would like to hope that when the majority of board members get on there, and, and so we're talking about, I think, an outlier group of board members who behave badly, but I would like to think that when you get on the board, you realize, okay, there's a common purpose here. You may have had an ax to grind. You may have had this um, specific motivation on a staff member you didn't like but there's kind of more uh, a more ultimate goal which is is serving the best interests of your students and and sometimes that fades away but uh, i know emily's got some specific examples but i think through um, some of the situations where somebody has been specifically mad at a coach or a specific administrator and that has been what drives their agenda um, when running for board and when they get on the board Good point. I like that. Thanks, COVID. You know, I think we should all get T-shirts that, that say thanks, COVID. Yeah, we definitely I like, should. I like that. I like that. It's good to have some merch. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, COVID. Um, all right, Emily. Uh, you know, Drew mentioned that you might have some examples of this. What are you thinking? I, I agree with so many of the points that Drew made. I do think that this issue, when you know someone being motivated by a personal agenda is pretty common because 
people are often motivated to run for the board because they've had a specific personal experience with the district or a staff member, or as Drew mentioned, a coach, and they really want to be elected in order to fix something. Um, and so they have, a, at the time that they run, they have a pretty limited perspective, a sort of closed personal perspective on the issue that they're concerned about. Um, and, you know, we've seen some time ago, I feel like the you know common core curriculum was a pretty hot button issue that people decided that you know was a motivating factor to run for a board but i think now because of the trickle down effect of the political and ideological division in the country um it seems to be more and more the case that people are running on specific issues um but i feel like it's also often true that once elected newer board members get to see some finer detail about situations or issues um, they get to learn, you know, they become more educated about the systems and the processes within the district. They may be privy to some confidential facts and details that they didn't know about whenever they were motivated to run in the first place, because a lot of that just isn't public. Um, and so they do grow to understand a little bit more about how nuanced the work of the board and the administration is when it comes to particular things. So, um, you know, I think that as, you know, as Drew mentioned, there's just a lot, there's a lot to unpack, I think, for for public school districts right now when it comes to the issues that we've seen in the last 18 months, basically. Um, and, and there's still, I think, are going to be a lot of people who are running on those personal agendas and issues. Great points from both of you on that. I, you know, the uh, it seems like to me it takes a board member a while to really get oriented, uh, to understand, um, that they're not there to serve those spe special interests They're, you know, maybe they have, um, you know, had conversations during the course of getting elected campaigning and, um, maybe they've even made promises, uh, to that effect. And it takes them a while to realize that, you know, it may not, first of all, it may be about something that the board really doesn't have a role. Um, and, and then they above and beyond that, they've got to remember that they're serving the entire public, uh, you know, the students, the staff, the taxpayers, and those competing interests sometimes need to be reconciled and that by the governing body. And that takes on a different role than just that, that serving that special interest. You know, I, the, uh, I was in a conversation earlier today with somebody about this and it, we were talking about the fact that a board member had made the comment that, you know, it really took me a while to realize that, some of those folks that uh, I had those conversations with as I was running for the board, their motives really weren't that pure when they were talking to me. And it took them a while to kind of come to that realization. I thought that was an interesting insight. But, um, you know, some of these things tie also to another issue I wanted to kind of get into a little bit. And that is when a board member tries to usurp the role of the administration or the board as a whole. Um, an individual board member, just like any other citizen, they really shouldn't be able to act with authority unless the board says that they can act with authority about a particular thing. But a lot of times we see board members either attempt to exercise the authority of the board, perhaps the exercise the authority of the superintendent. A good example would be uh, if a board member, and I remember this one very, very well, um, I had a board member one time that uh, we had a non-renewal of a principal, and uh, obviously that's in closed session. 
but before the the superintendent could sit the principal down the next morning the board member went and met with that individual principal and and told her that she was being non-renewed uh completely undermining the board completely undermining the administration um and uh just the damage that went with that uh it it took it it wreaked havoc for quite some time in that district uh, just that one act crazy stuff but um i want to kind of get some insights from the two of you um you know what kinds of situations have you seen in that regard that uh, where you see that sort of thing where a board member is trying to go beyond their role as an individual board member so uh we have had a number of situations where we've had board members who immediately started engaging in some investigative detective work regarding employment matters or even sometimes student matters but it's usually more employment matters uh and speaking directly with an employee uh, who is under investigation by the administration for misconduct. And um, in that situation, you know, the board, uh, there are a couple board members who were gathering information independently, um, speaking directly to that employee while the administration is still trying to gather statements and evidence and information uh, from other sources. And the employee really felt like they did not have to answer to the superintendent as part of the investigation cooperate in any way because they had this direct line to the board. And uh, then the superintendent was in a difficult spot. They weren't able to gather the information that they needed in order to finish up their investigation fully. And the employee was being uncooperative with admin, but appear, you know, appeared to be cooperative with some board members that they felt were on their side. So, you know, that creates a lot of mistrust between the board and the superintendent and then among board members because once we have board members who are getting that involved in work that is administrative in nature you know we, we need the administration to perform those functions and then bring necessary information to the board if the decision is a decision that should come before the board now or later um, the board members, we had board members who didn't trust the information or the word of the superintendent because they were getting conflicting information from the employee, which of course we would expect that to happen because there are a few different sides to every story. Um, and then the superintendent didn't trust the board because the superintendent felt like, what, why am I even trying to do this if all the board members are going to go, you know, if I've got a handful of board members who are going to try to do my job for me here. So that kind of incident, even though it, it may seem isolated to a single inst instance or incident, has a really negative ripple effect on the communications between the superintendent and the board and individual board members and that relationship going forward. It can be huge, right? And it, it, and it kind of creates expectations for people, oh, this is how you get things done. You go around the administration and you go to an individual board member and they usually look for the weakest link, right, and uh, and uh, try to exploit it. So uh, tough stuff there. You know, uh, Drew, there, there's one uh, other instance of board member misconduct. You hadn't mentioned it, but uh, one that uh, I was thinking of that uh, I shouldn't call it misconduct necessarily, but um, does come up from time to time, uh, and that relates to not showing up for meetings 
Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and, uh, I know you've had to deal with that one, uh, a little bit. Um, well, I mean, I'm thinking of a specific instance where we had, uh, a, a particular board member that, uh, was kind of playing games a little bit with the absences. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that one? Yeah. So we had, and it's been a few years now, but a board member that <clears throat> had missed three, three consecutive meetings. And I, I will say he, you know, each board kind of maybe has their own colloquialisms, but he was that one board member um, on that board. And uh, so had had a number of issues with the other board members um, missed those three meetings, and when it came time to have the next regularly scheduled meeting, the board voted to not excuse those absences. And what that means is that he's vacated his seat. So uh, that was one of those meetings in open session that I was invited to be there. I didn't arrive early. I was on time, but I was invited to open session. And this board member tried to drag a chair up and seat himself at the dais, and the board president did what the board president had practiced, which was, sir, you need, you are a, a no longer a board member. You have forfeited your seat. Please go back and sit in the audience. And there was some grumbling from the crowd and, um, and the board member put his head down and walked back to the audience and sat down, but ended up filing a lawsuit a couple weeks later to be reinstated to the board. And so we went and argued that motion to dismiss and the judge judge entered an order saying, yep, he's forfeited his seat. He missed the three consecutive meetings. They weren't excused and he's no longer a board member of the district. Um, it was, it was an interesting, interesting situation. Um, and, you know, somebody that was kind of a, uh, I think had done those things on purpose in effort to push the board in an effort to push the board. And uh, ultimately um, it backfired because he was no longer a part of it. Strange story. Uh, remember it well. It uh, and working up to that point where the board made that decision not to excuse. Uh, they, all interesting stuff. You know, uh, I think there's one thing that I, I want to close out with for you guys, and and just ask you for some parting shots here. You know, you guys both sit as as board members in, in public school districts in Missouri, and and if you had a fellow board member come to you and say, Hey, we've got a problem here. We've got this board member that's uh, really uh, engaging in conduct that it, it, uh, it is a violation of our board policies or board ethics. Um, you know, how do you, uh, what a piece of advice if you had to drill it down to, or boil it down to one single piece of advice, what do you think you'd tell them? I think that my single piece of advice would be to, address that board member early and often about that kind of conduct because we have seen board member i don't board members gone wild i mean i think we've seen you know we've seen situations where um that has gotten been tolerated for so long that the practices of the board are undermined and and eroded and so i would say address it early address it often um, and try to nip it in the bud. Yeah. I think the corollary to that is that, um, you, you can't just expect it to, to be, you know, corrected with just one instance of reinforcement, right? You've got to, you've got to, uh, and, and it's got to come as a board as a whole. It's got to be supportive of that effort to bring the person in line, I think too. 
Drew, your parting shot, your yeah. parting, parting thought. What do you well, think? Well, fortunately, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking from my experience, experiences as a, a school law attorney and not as a board member. Um, but, you know, situations where you have your board president, board vice president sit down and counsel that person. And we've had situations where that ultimately results in the person continuing to do those things. And sometimes that leads to a censure, right? That some kind of discussion from the board that we're not we don't think this behavior is appropriate. Um, you know, we don't have a process and this was something that came up in one of our instances where, uh, where a board member was usurping their role and, and were censured. And, and this was during Trump impeachment part one. And he kept calling in social media for the district to impeach him. He wanted to have an impeachment. Um, we really don't have a way to do that. And so it's one of those things you really do. You have to work together and you have to sit down and talk through those things. And, and ultimately, if you can have your board leadership counsel that person and work through that and, and create that understanding, you're going to be better for it. All good stuff, guys. I appreciate you taking the time today to share your insights, both as a school attorney and a board member on some of these things. And we thank you, the listeners, for taking the time today. We hope you'll follow and share our Ed Council podcast on social media and subscribe to hear upcoming episodes on current legal topics and issues related to school law. You can also give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and you can check us out at our website. Just Google Ed Council. That's E-D-C-O-U-N-S-E-L, all one word, and you'll find us there. Glad we could be together, and thanks for listening to this edition of Ed Council Insights.